Bibles open to Revelation 22? Your phones, your apps. Are you guys ready to finish Revelation? Some of you are. And some of you, my wife has been so done with Revelation. We said we've been studying um, Daniel on Wednesday nights as well. And so for a big chunk of Revelation, it was Wednesdays and Sundays and Wednesdays and Sundays of all this Bible prophecy and end time stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've tried to encourage us through this study is to stay encouraged, even as we studied 6 through 19. And 6 through 19 in Revelation, it details that seven-year period of human history called the Tribulation and the last half, the Great Tribulation, and all the details in the Bible. So many details in the Bible for that period. But just knowing that as as bad as it's going to get, that we're encouraged to know that God has not called us or appointed us to wrath. The Bible is very clear, and it says, as a child of God, you've not been appointed to wrath. And Revelation 6 through 19 is the wrath of God being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world, and God is going to spare us from that. And it's one, one of a hundred thousand reasons why I'm, I'm very dogmatic about the idea that the Bible teaches a pre-tribulation rapture, that we go um, up in the rapture in Revelation chapter 4 before all that happens, um, layer upon layer. And every time I hit him in all the different chapters of the books of the Bible, we highlight those reasons for you. So... We come here to the end. Last week um, in Revelation 21, we saw that, that um, one, of, one of the verses that I've used at more funerals than any other verse in the Bible is in Revelation 21. And John said, Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and new Jerusalem coming down from heaven adorned as a bride for her husband. And so um, we see new heaven. We talked about the details of what it's going to look like. And again, I want you to picture a new earth that's, let's just, Use the earth that we have round, just like it is now, just bigger and redone and remodeled. And then um, New Jerusalem, is. it even gives us the details, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. Then it's a cube in the shape of a cube. Some say it can be shaped differently, but for the most part, it's, it's a cube. But it's multidimensional. It's not where you only live on the outside. And we talked about the potential. If you just use if there were 20 billion people in heaven and we only used one quarter of the space for housing, every person would have 75 acres of land. Some of you would love that. You'd be all by yourself and nobody for 75 acres. Others would like, yeah, we'd want... So whether that's a good thing and that, listen, that is just, remember, it's huge. That's just a quarter of it. That would be three quarters of it for whatever trees and oceans and rivers and stuff that would be in the New Jerusalem. But it sits on top of the new earth. And, and so it would seem that as, as the Bible teaches in Revelation 21 and 22, that, that the, the, the heaven where we're going to spend eternity is this two phases, the holy city, New Jerusalem, and the earth. And that we'll go back and forth between the both. How many of you guys are city slickers? Not too many around here. We may have a couple. I grew up a city slicker. But whether you're a city slicker or you're a country bumpkin, is that a good word? Y'all country bumpkins? It, it, it doesn't matter. You're going to have the best of both worlds because you're going to have all the amenities of New Jerusalem and the city. You'll be able to have your, your place in a... New Jerusalem has enough for you to own 75 acres of land by yourself. What is How much space? And the other thing we talked about last week, I hope you remember this. But Jesus said in John 14, He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and so, specifically, what are the things that you love? What, what is something that you'd imagine would be heaven for you? Maybe when you get there, it's going to be covered in like green gummy bears because you just love green gummy bears. And you're like, how did you know, Lord? But, but it says that He's going to prepare a place for you. You know, I'm always thinking about what, you know, because I love water. And maybe many people do, right? But I love a water feature. Who, who wouldn't love a house with a river flowing in a creek or river, something water flowing in your backyard or next to the ocean or a big lake? And so I know that my place is going to have some kind of water feature. And even though we read in Revelation that it says there's no more sea, well, He's going to replace it with something better. And, and so heaven is huge, and we have the earth, and we'll have access, and, and, and we'll have, you know, and we talked about the last thing from last week, I'm still recapping last week, um, was that it describes the foundations of heaven, and the gates of heaven, and the streets of heaven. The streets are paved of what? Of gold. The foundations and, and the gates are made out of precious stones, the, the, the foundations of pearls, and the, found, and the gates 
uh, of precious stones. And, and so you have gold and, and all the precious stones that are mentioned. And, and yet the value in heaven, we talked about last week, is not what's there, but what? Who's there that we're going to spend eternity in the presence of God? The Bible says that no man can see God's face and live. But nobody ever saw the face of God. No man has ever seen the face of God. One guy got kind of close. You remember who that was? You remember Moses? Two people in the Bible were given blank checks. One of them was Solomon and the other one was Moses. And Moses said, Lord, I want to see you. And, and, and why, would, why would Moses, given a blank check, Lord said, Moses, whatever you ask, I'll do it for you. What do you want? You remember what Solomon asked for, right? Solomon asked for wisdom. And God, God blessed him. God said, Solomon, because you didn't ask for a million dollars, because you didn't ask for riches and, and, and fame, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm also going to give you riches and fame. And Moses, he said, Lord, I want to see you. It kind of baffled me for a little bit. Why would, why would Moses' request be to see the Lord? And the answer is very simple. Because when you're in love with somebody, what do you want to do? You want to spend time with them. You want to see them. What did you do when you were first dating your spouse? When you first met and you were in love and we loved each other? I'll tell you what Lydia and I did. We'd spend all day together until like midnight or something. And then we'd go to our own separate ways and as soon as we got home, we'd call each other on the phone. And we'd talk on the phone until like 3 in the morning until we both fell asleep and drool running down the side of our mouth and... We just wanted to be together. Wanted to find reasons and excuses to be together. And Moses loved God and he wanted to see him. But God, but God couldn't allow Moses to see his face. So he covered Moses. Do you remember there in Exodus? In the cleft of the rock and he passed by him. But there's coming a day where we're going to live eternally in the presence of Jesus and, and we're going to see his face. And it says that we're going to know him as we're known. Amen? Alright, that was last week. So if we want to get to 22, we better get to this week. My wife's already shaking her head at me, yeah? Sometimes I feel like Rodney Dangerfield. Some of you guys might remember, you know, some of you younger people, that went over your head, but. Let's look at chapter 22 and verse number 1. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each fruit, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So now we have this um, new introduction to something we don't see anywhere else in our Bible, and then something else that we're maybe a little more familiar with. The first one that's new is the river of life. We've not seen or encountered any kind of river of life other than Jesus said, if you come to me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. But this particular river in heaven... It is a new idea. We're familiar with the tree of life. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here, here you have from the throne a pure river of life that's flowing through the middle. I've seen some people try to draw pictures of what this scene in Revelation 22 might look like. And they're really cool, but obviously they'll do it no justice, right? The Bible says no, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor your mind can even grab the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. So any of those pictures are just not going to do it justice. But they're cool to put your mind, be able to wrap your mind around the idea of what we're looking at. So we have this river, um, pure river of life coming in from the throne of God. And it says in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Now, is there multiple trees of life on either side of the river? I don't know. I don't know if we have one tree of life that's multiplied many times, like an orange tree that's just many orange trees, or some have said that, that it's, it's one tree, but it's so big that it flows over both sides of the river. I don't know how they come up with this stuff. These Bible scholar guys that come up with this stuff, but that's one idea. Or there's many trees. But what's interesting about this particular tree is that it says that it yields its fruit how often? And it's a different fruit. Twelve different fruits a month. How cool would that be? Just right there, a little thing. Like you have a tree in your backyard, and every month it yields a fruit, but it's a different fruit every month. You know? And, and who knows what they're going to be or how, how they'll be, but just the idea. Now, now two things I want to just kind of parentheses here and highlight for you, kind of study stuff. It says that it'll be a month, but isn't God outside of time? Right? We know that God is not bound by time. But you know what's interesting? Through, through the study of Revelation, we find multiple times where time is used in heaven. So, so maybe that God is not bound by time, but yet things are still measured in time in heaven. You can't get away from that. 
Do you, do you know, remember the verse why we know there's no women in heaven? Remember that verse? There was silence in heaven for a half hour? Just a joke, folks. The women will be in heaven. Um, so we have that time where there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. And then here we have this thing listed in months. And, and so somehow it's, it's measured, but maybe just because it never runs out and there's no parameters on it, but somehow it's still measured. And so we have this tree, and it yields forth its fruit every month. Now, the tree of life, let, let's look at Genesis. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2. Let's do a quick recap. You know, one of the things that Genesis chapter 2, one of the things, again, that's interesting and fascinating about the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation quotes um, so many different books in the Old Testament and in your Bible that you have to know them all. It says there's a blessing, a special blessing in just reading the book of Revelation. And part of that blessing is because you have to know, you have to be in so many places in the Bible to understand and follow and unlock what Revelation means. And so... Um, Remember the story of the tree of life? Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 2 in verse number 8. And it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man, the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. So, you know, it's funny, it's not the river of life that we saw in Revelation, but you have almost the same setup here in the Garden of Eden. You have a, 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 a river, the headwaters of some river, and it's, it's watering the tree of life and these other trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then this river, it's going to go on and explain that it's going to break up into four major rivers that, you know, the world would have known, Tigris and Euphrates and these other rivers. And it says there was gold in one of them. And... And then, um, now, in Genesis, fast forward to chapter 3, in verse number 22. Now, I'll just tell you what, what's happening, right? So, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, and Eve was deceived, and Adam made a choice. He saw his wife, and she had already eaten, and he made a choice to follow her. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Why did Adam choose this? I have a theory, but it's not it's not rated PG for church, okay? So, um, but but the Bible says that Ad, that Eve was deceived, but that Adam made a willing choice. He, he he wasn't deceived by Satan as Eve was. That he he knew the choice that he was making, but he chose to follow in his wife's lead, and he ate of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and so after that happened. Sin and death entered the world, the Bible says. And, and, God, and God shows up and He says, Adam, where art thou? Remember that? What do you think God's voice sounded like that day in the garden when He was looking for Adam? Do you think He sounded like the arresting officer? Adam, where art thou? I'm mad! What'd you do? I, I have a feeling that God's voice that day in the, in the garden was more like the, the, the heart of a broken father. The broken heart of a father. Adam, where art thou? What did you do, son? Adam, where are you? And, and, and then Adam and Eve, they were hiding, remember? And they sowed fig leaves to cover their nakedness because their nakedness was exposed. By the way, fig leaves are really itchy. So Adam was paying a price immediately for his sin. Well, then as a result... God takes the tree of life that is going to be reintroduced in Revelation 22 where we're studying this morning and it says that He does something with it. Do you remember what He does with it? Let's look at Revelation, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3 in verse number 22. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to the guard, to guard the way of the... So God puts an angel um, in front of the tree of life with a flaming sword, and he's going to chop your fingers off if you try to touch it, because he's going to protect you from eating of the tree of life. 
and then, and then it just disappears. We don't have it mentioned anymore. We know there was a, um, a great flood that happens in, um, in Genesis 6 and coming up soon, and I don't know how many years, but the tree of life is, just disappears off the earth, or it's not mentioned again until Revelation 22. But for this season, God puts an angel in front of the tree of life to guard it. Why did he do that? Because if Adam had eaten of the tree of life, he would have been stuck in this body forever. Can you imagine? That's the definition of hell. He would have been stuck, and no matter how old he got, what kind of things started growing out of his nose and his ears, he just would have lived forever. And so in God's grace, in God's mercy, because that was never God's plan, God's plan is for us to live forever, but in it with a glorified body, and in heaven, in eternity, and to be like Jesus. And so he's protecting us and protects Adam so that he can't eat of the tree of life. And then the tree of life disappears. And then back to Revelation 22, finally in this scene in heaven, the tree of life reappears. And this time, we have an amazing invitation from God to eat of the tree of life as freely as we like. And then not only does it bear fruit, but even the leaves of this tree are healthy. What does it say about the the leaves of the tree in verse number um, 2? Because the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, number one, I just want to say that word healing there in the Greek, it, it's the word therapy, where we get our English word therapy from. And, and so we, we read in Revelation that in, uh, in 21, that in heaven there's no years, there's no fears, there's no tears, there's no sickness, there's no disease. So what do we need to be healed from? So it's not like a doctor or a medical healing. There's nothing broken about our physical bodies that needs healing. So what does this verse mean that the leaves are for the healing of the nations? Well, the word is therapy. And so, I don't know. There's some kind of heavenly therapy that you eat it and it just does something in you. I almost want to say it's like a God drug or something that just, it just, it, it completes you. And, and, it, and it fills you and it's therapy for you and it's constant healing of your soul and of who you are and, and of your joy in heaven. Because it's not a physical healing. And then also a little quick side note here too. It says for the healing of the nations. And we find this in the scripture where even in heaven, it would seem that, that there's still a division of different nations, which I think is so cool. I think it's cool that God's not a globalist. You know, that God is, you know, that maybe you will have to some degree. And I don't know, I'm not making a doctrine out of this, but maybe there'll be different, you know, and of course everyone's going to have peace, right, and love. There's not be war, but different tribes you know, maybe the tribe that you're from here, you know, American in 2020 is your tribe over there. I want to be put in a different tribe, though. I want to go like Scotland, 1700s, you know, with the Highlanders or something. But um, that where, where there's these tribes or these nations that um, God identifies here. And so we have this tree of life. Not only will we eat the fruit, but also of the, um, um, the leaves. Hey, no, I said it reappears in, Gen- in Revelation 20, 20, uh, 22. So somebody's going to catch me and say, oh, hold on, Pastor Chris. Doesn't the tree of life also appear in Revelation chapter 2? And to that, I would have to say yes. So let me just highlight it really quick. In Revelation chapter 2, in verse number 7, it says, And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So it's a forerunner to where we find the tree um, exposed and given to us and given and us given access to the tree in Revelation 22. But Jesus promises in Revelation 2 in the letters to the churches that to him who overcomes, he's going to give us access to the tree of life. And then he tells us where it's located. Revelation 2.7. It says it's located in the midst of the paradise of God. I love the word paradise in describing heaven. You know, because heaven, heaven sounds cool as it is, heaven, but when you think of paradise, it gets to add some color and, and the idea of where we're going to be. You know, the whole idea of paradise is so enticing to all of us, right? That's why Sandals is so popular, the resort, the all-inclusive resort place, because they've, they've capitalized on this concept of selling you a paradise. And they show these pictures, you know, and when you, we go, Lydia actually, in our 10th wedding anniversary, we went to a Sandals resort. And on the resort, it was great. But 100 yards off the resort, that's not in the brochure. But just stay on the resort and, and you're good. And it was a little piece of paradise. 
And then in, uh, back to Revelation 22, in verse number 3, it says, And there shall be no more curse. Everybody say, Amen. No more curse. What was the curse? I was just in Genesis 2. I should highlight it for you guys. Turn back, or just hang out if you want, or turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Um, or just hang out in Revelation. I'll be right back there. Sin and death entered, and then each, there was three curses that were pronounced um, in the same seed in the Garden of Eden. Satan was cursed. Um, the Proto-Evangelicum is mentioned here in, 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 in um, 3.15. That's the first promise of the Messiah coming and of the Gospel. And, and it's the first mention that Jesus was going to come and, and do war and, 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 and defeat Satan. And then to the woman, you guys were cursed as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. And your curse was, do you remember, ladies? If you've had kids, you definitely remember. Because your curse was that you will bring forth your children in pain. And then the second part of the curse, you may not remember or know as well from your Bibles, but the second part is that your desires shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. You guys don't like that. You're ready to throw things at me. Hold on. Hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't write the letters. I'm just a messenger. I just deliver them. You got a problem? Take it up with God. He wrote it. Um, no, I'm kidding. This is a really good study, like for marriage study and stuff. It's so good, I don't have time to do it right now. But I'll just tell you, ladies, that one of the ideas from here, from from your curse, is that, you know, God has, has made perfect parameters and um, place for husbands and wife and how we dwell together. And, and God has not elevated a husband or a wife above one another, that we're equal in Christ. We're both created in the image of Christ. But but the dynamic that's created is that your, your curse is that your, your, your desire to pounce on, the term is like a lion pouncing on, on something. Your term is, is to pounce on your husband and dominate him. But that's not your place or your call. And so it's where you have to, again, die to yourself, respect your husband. In New Testament says, wives, see that you respect your husbands, and husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so that's the struggle that you have, is submitting, because the Bible says to submit. And so, again, I'm not doing marriage study today. So, but that's your curse. And then for us guys, our curse was... Anybody remember? Cursed is the ground for your sake. So men, every time there's a thorn or a thistle or something that just, you know, don't take that, own that. That's on you. That's our curse, right? And the second part of that is it says that um, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So the labor that we do is, is work and it's hard. And, and in heaven, that curse is going to be lifted. So just think, just think how amazing, just in that aspect alone, that, that we'll be for all of eternity, that we'll do what we want to do, we'll do what we love to do, and it won't feel like work. It'll feel like get to, it'll feel like want to. And ladies, you won't give birth in pain anymore. I don't know what you'll be giving birth, period. <laughs> and, and the Bible says, in heaven there's no, more, there's no marrying or giving in marriage. So you won't have the desire to pounce on your husband in heaven. Like a lion. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, where was that? Oh, yes, men. For us, we'll get to work. And, and, you know, I'm so stoked about it. I'm so stoked about the idea that not only will you just... What, what do you guys like to do? What would you do? Like, what would your job description be? Now, I, this is one thing that bothers me a little bit. Let me just kind of give you a little more pet peeve. Let me vent a little bit. Sometimes I hear the idea that um, people don't know what they're going to do for all of eternity in heaven. Now, I understand the idea of heaven being for all of eternity, and that's a long time to wrap your mind around. And you don't have to wrap your mind around it. But I just think it's kind of funny that we, we struggle finding purpose in heaven, but we don't struggle finding purpose here on earth. Like, we, we understand, we have a purpose here, and we do things here, and we have kids, and we've got to raise them, we've got to provide, we've got to, you know, make a difference in the world. And, and no problem finding a purpose here on earth, but when it comes to heaven, and, and not you guys, other people I've talked to, you know, struggle with the idea of finding purpose in heaven. Well, I want to encourage you that you will have no problem finding purpose in heaven. You're not, you know, this is one of the comments. I don't want to go to heaven. It's going to be boring. We're just going to be little fat cherubs and we're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp for Jesus all for 10 million billion years. Like, my fingers are going to get tired. Like that, you know, honestly, here's the truth. 
if, if that is your concept of heaven, the problem is not with your concept of heaven. The problem is your concept of God. The problem is you don't know Jesus. Because if you know my Jesus, you know that He doesn't, that's not what He has for you. He loves you so much, He created you for pleasure, for His pleasure, that He's got a blessing over your life, and He just wants the best for you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And He describes it as a paradise. And it'll be all that and a bag of chips. And you won't have time. But listen, I don't think we're just going to sit around and, be, and do nothing. And I think we're going to have purpose. I think in the purpose that we're going to work. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have things that we do. That, you know, we're going to have... And it's going to tell us exactly here in a minute. One of the things that we will do unequivocally, so there's no debate about it. But I don't know what I'm going to be. I think I'm going to be a lifeguard. Because my place is going to be in, in, in Hawaii, on Kauai Beach, so... Um, maybe I'll just be a lifeguard now. I'll actually get to wear the little red shorts, little 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 sundials under my eyes, and that's it. I'll be good to go. And you guys will never drown because that won't be possible. So I'll never even have to get out in the water and save anybody. All right, in verse number three. No, we're still in three. We're we're moving on. Along. Hey, but listen, it's going to tell us. It's going to tell us. And there shall be no more curse. That's what we were talking about. So we spent some time on. No more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. We hit on this last week. Listen, this is the, the glory of heaven. Is that the, the, the Lamb and God will be in it. That we, It says in chapter 21 that God will be our God and we will be His people. And He will dwell with us and we will dwell with Him. And we will be with Jesus for all of eternity. And then look what it says. It says, and His servants shall do what? So what are you going to be in heaven for all of eternity? It tells you right here in verse 4, very, very clearly, what you're going to be in, all, in heaven for all of eternity. You're, you're going to be a servant of God. And you're going to serve Him, it says, for all of eternity. You know this term here in the, in the Greek? It's, it's the same term for slave. But, you know, slave in our culture today obviously has a very negative connotation. You can't really use that term and, and get anywhere with it or be politically correct. But I want to tell you, the idea of being a slave in God's eyes is not perverted like the way. And we have absolutely perverted and, and, and abused slavery um, in this world. Okay? So, so but for us in, in this context of us being in heaven, that we're going to be a slave to God, and we're going to love it. It's going, to, it's going to be paradise. You know, you, you think of the idea of somebody standing at attention, waiting for the master to give you an order. And you're going to love it. And you're going to have purpose. And as we serve him, we're going to serve in our jobs, in our places, in our purpose, in, in our work. And it's all going to be joy. And it's not going to be nine to five. And, it's, and there's no curse, men. So everything that we do, it's not by the sweat of our brow, but it's by the joy of our hearts. Amen? And it's with the joy of our hearts, you know. And so, um, but we're going to serve God for all of eternity. I love it. And we'll have amazing purpose, right? With no curse, enjoy what we do, um, and serve the Lord. Verse 4, it says, And we shall see His face. We already talked about that. No one will see His face. Um, and His name shall be on their foreheads. we got to talk about that. Hey, but turn with me if you will. Go left, um, past Revelation to First John. This is a verse you should be familiar with in your Bibles. Um, this talks about heaven. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now, everybody say now, we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now, it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now, we know the Bible says that we're going to be changed in the, in the instance, in the twinkling of an eye, that we're going to be given a glorified body, the same body that Jesus had post-resurrection, the same body that Jesus was in when He appeared to over 500 people after He died on the cross and rose again. He went into a room where the disciples were gathered and He didn't open the door. He, he also ate, though, which was interesting. Um, and so... It says it's not yet appeared what we're going to what we shall be. But listen, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Capital H shall be like God, like Jesus. For we shall see Jesus as he is. We shall see him as he is. So it's not yet revealed what we're going to be. But we know when we see him, when he's revealed, that we're going to be like him, and we're going to know him as he is. 
We're going to know Him as we're known. So it's not going to, there's not going to be a classroom in heaven where, where you've got to learn a bunch of things. And, and maybe we can learn. I've heard pastors say things like we will be learning things and, and doing things because the Bible, the Word of God will have that in heaven because the Bible says it's, it's the Word of God is eternal. The heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But there's a quickening that's going to take place when you're transformed. First Corinthians. In the twinkling of an eye, the dead... In, I'm sorry, no, it's not that one. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So when that happens, in the rapture, in death, when we receive our glorified bodies, there's a quickening that takes place according to 1 John 3, 2, and immediately we'll know Jesus as we're known. How well does Jesus know you? He knows how many hairs are on your head. We talked about last week. He keeps your tears in a jar, ladies. And, and He knows you intimately. And, and we're going to know Him as we're known. How cool is that going to be? We're just going to know. We're going to know Jesus. You know, um, my cousin has had a... Um, he's a prayer warrior, and, and he has a ministry of prayer, an intercessory prayer. And he shared with me, you know, of, of just being in prayer and, and being in the presence of Jesus. And he, and he said, one of the things is, he said, you know, and I know this is true, this is consistent through the Word. He said, when you're in the presence of Jesus in that setting, that... You don't ask questions that get answers. It's like you have questions, but you just know the answers. In the presence of God, and when He shows up and He begins to speak, that He just quickens it unto you. You know those things. And that's what First John says, that, that when we see Him, we're going to know Him as we're known. Amen? Alright, back to verse 4, Revelation 22. And it says, um, And His name shall be on their foreheads. Now, how many of you guys in here frown, you make fun of, you judge people when you see them with face tattoos. Tell the truth. Well, you're all going to have a face tattoo for all of eternity. You're going to be like Post Malone and then some. You're all going to be tatted up. And it's not going to see stay, stay, stay tired either. It's going to say, it, it says, I mean, is it like, Maybe you guys can read it and figure something else out. Talk to you about it later, but I'm pretty sure this says in English here, right? That his name will be written on your forehead. And I'm not, I'm teasing, right? I'm not saying that in heaven we get ink tattoos on our forehead and it's like the same as it is here. But his name will be on our forehead. And you know what the funny thing is? I can't see my own forehead. I can see you. I can look around. I can see the name of God on every one of you. But not on myself. You know, and so I wish we could do that today where you just look around and you just see God in people, God on people, and, and, and you love them the way that God loves them. You treat them the way that God treats them, and you recognize that they are children of God. But there's coming a day, and this, this concept, you guys, of, of God writing his name on, on his people is, is nothing new. All the way through the Bible, right? All the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain through Abel, God put a mark on his forehead. The Jews, 144,000. Jewish evangelists, Revelation 11 and 14, he's going to mark them on their foreheads and seal them. It says that you and I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit today. That you've been given a seal. The same seal today of the Holy Spirit. Well, in heaven, for all of eternity, and I don't know how it practically plays out, the way that John describes it is it's a mark on our foreheads. And so, for all of eternity, we're sealed um, for the Lord. And then in verse 5 it says, And there shall be no more night there, so no night, you guys, no sleeping. Do we? Couple questions I get in heaven. Do we sleep? Do we eat? Do we have to go to the bathroom in heaven? Well, I, because I, I, right part of you is like, how is it heaven if I can't take a nap? Well, if you're not tired from working, because there's no curse and there's no sweat of the brow, you know, and then you think, man, that makes make heaven last that much longer. But there's no night there. It doesn't say anything about sleep or not sleep, so I don't know. Um, we definitely will eat in heaven because for seven years we'll be at the marriage feast of the Lamb with Jesus where we eat. And then it says that we just read where the, the, we're going to eat of the tree of life. Now, some have said that, that we don't eat like we do today to live and for sustenance and so you stay healthy and um, you live so for energy. You, you more eat for pleasure and you eat when you want to eat, eat what you eat, and you never have to get on a scale again. Eat whatever you want to eat. I really hope there's Krispy Kreme donuts in heaven. And I can eat as many of them as I want. Well, shoot, I do that now. 
All right, tacos. Are there going to be tacos in heaven? But, um, but, yeah, so it'll be great, whatever it is, whether we eat, sleep. And then go to the bathroom. I highly doubt it. <laughs> There'll be no, no need in your glorified bodies, my guess. Um, and then there's no night there. Verse 5, they need no lamp nor, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever. And so like the sun produces light on our planet today, Jesus produces the light. God produces the light, and, and it just illuminates the place. There's just a natural heavenly light in heaven. There's no night there. There's no need for, for lamps or flashlights because there's no darkness in heaven, That it's just eternal light. Hell is the opposite. Hell is described in the Bible as eternal darkness, a place um, of outer darkness, beyond darkness. And then in verse 6 it says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. People have a problem with verse number 6 because it says shortly take place. And this was written about 1900 years ago. But listen, we, we, we came across this same concept in Revelation chapter 1. This Greek word is the same word where we get um, the word tachometer from. It's, it's a rev, it's a measurer of, of things. And so um, what it means is that in rapid succession is going to come. Once it begins, once the dominoes fall, they're going to begin to fall quickly. And again, the idea of shortly in your concept and my concept could be very different. You know, to God, the Bible says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So you're like, oh, it's been 2,000 years. God's like, no, it's not. It's only been two days. What do you, what do you get impatient for? But he's going to come. You know, I was going to start the message when I forgot, but this, this reminds me. Um, hey, you guys, say this with me really quickly. I am coming quickly. One more time. I am coming quickly. Let me pause for Revelation for a second. You guys okay? Be with me for just a second. Look up, because I don't want you to look at your Bibles. We don't need Revelation for a minute. Pause for Revelation. Hey, one of the um, things that I've kind of tried to instill in us in Bible study kind of techniques and methods as you read your Bible on it, uh, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is He uses repetition in, in the Word of God to make a point, right? So, and, and know this, the chapters and verses that you have in the Bible on your lap, those were not put there necessarily by the Holy Spirit as the words were. Because the, the chapters and verses were added later for organization. I think they did a wonderful job, but sometimes it doesn't always stop a thought and start a new thought when the chapter ends. Sometimes those chapter breaks could be put in a different place. The Word of God is infallible, inspired, um, the Word of God, but the chapters and verses were added later. Okay? So, um, but in a particular chapter, if you're reading a chapter and if, some, if it's a word, if it's an idea, or it's a concept, it repetition is used by the Holy Spirit to bring emphasis. So all the way through, I've taught all 27 books in the New Testament, and now we're on number 28. We we started in Revelation for round two of the New Testament. And this is one of the things, through all the Bible, we see repetition, we highlight that, okay? All right, parentheses over, back back to Revelation, chapter 21. Hey, let me draw your attention real quick to verse number seven. It says what? Behold, I am coming quickly. Look at verse number 12. And behold, and my reward is with me. Look at verse number 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely... Okay, let's try that again, y'all. Your line is, I am coming quickly. If you haven't figured that out yet. Okay, ready? Let's try again. Verse number 7 says, behold... Verse number 12 says, behold... And my reward is with me. Verse number 20 says, He who testifies of these things says, Surely, is there repetition there of the idea that Jesus is coming quickly? Does does the Bible teach over and over and over again in the New Testament that Jesus is coming back? And here we have this encouragement that He's coming quickly. And you know the reality is whether the Lord raptures the church today, it would be great, right here at the end of Revelation 22, Yes and amen. May the grace of the Lord be with you and the rapture happens. But whether the Lord comes back and tarries for another 10 years or 20 years, it doesn't mean that He's not coming quickly in all of our lives. In another 10 years, maybe not everybody in this room will still be on planet Earth. Because for you or for me or for some of us, you know, we have a different day. And so come quickly for us could mean immediately. It could mean tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. 
So when he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, he is coming quickly. And we know that not one more thing needs to happen in your Bible prophetically to fulfill the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. That, that everything biblically and prophetically has been fulfilled. And He is coming. And He's coming quickly. And so we have this promise. And it's an encouragement to us. John tells us that, that if we live believing that Jesus could come back at any moment, if we live believing in Jesus' soon return, that it purifies how we live. You know, and it's, it's important. It's important for us to, to have that concept. It's hard. It's hard every day to live like we believe Jesus is going to come back today or the next day. But if we, could, if we could grab a hold of it and live our lives that way, it absolutely would change our lives. You guys have all been teenagers, right? Some of you may still be. How many of you guys were teenagers and you're home alone? And you knew what time Dad was coming home. I'm pretty sure when you know Dad is pulling in the driveway, that's not when you're doing your funny business. But if it's noon and Dad don't get off till 5, you feel a little freer, right? You're, you know, you're doing some things you're not going to be doing at 5 o'clock. But to live in the way where you believe that it's always 5 o'clock, the Bible says it purifies how you live. And the Lord Jesus could come back soon. And so we're encouraged here to hear, verse 7, that He's coming quickly. And then in verse number 8, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, the angel said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and your brethren of the prophets and those who keep the words of this book. Worship only God or worship God. So, John's reaction is when he sees this angel. Now, everywhere in your Bible where um, a man encounters an angel, the first reaction is always a a, a fear for whatever reason. And then the angel will say, do not be afraid. And and multiple times we've seen it in Daniel and other places where men saw an angelic being and they just didn't know what to do immediately. And so they worshipped it. And, And you can tell when it's Uh, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. We have places where Jesus appears to folks in the Old Testament, and we know that because when they worship Him, He allows them to worship. He receives their worship. But every time it's an angel, you always have this warning and this forbidding. And so this angel says, John, don't worship me. And then what's interesting here, and it's not, again, today's not a study in angelology, but what's interesting here is that the angel says, I'm your fellow servant and brethren. And so, he, just from this verse, and again, I'm not getting into angelology and the study of, of angels and demons, but from this verse, it sounds like we're going to serve alongside, as the angels do today. The angels serve God today. They're in the presence of God, in and out, and they marvel, and they do God's bidding. It's, you know, the Bible says that, that we do have the idea of a guardian angel. That's biblical, that we have guardian angels. And so, they're serving God and doing the bidding of God. And... and so we'll serve alongside them or they'll continue to serve God as we have already read that we will become and we will be slaves or servants to God for all of eternity along with the angels. And so if you don't like people, good news. In heaven, you probably won't even have to deal with them. You can just hang out with angels for all of eternity and be good. And so um, so we have this angel and then John, um, he makes a mistake. John should not have fell down, but he says he falls down to worship and the angel picks him up. And then I love the angel's um, his, his encouragement to John there at the very end of verse 9 is to do what? Worship God. Hey, and I encourage us from the same thing. Worship God. You know, don't worship things or stuff. You know, we use our stuff to worship God. In, um, in Numbers chapter 21, there's a, there's a cool story and Jesus mentions it in John chapter 3. And it's the story in verse 15 where Jesus, of John chapter 3. And Jesus says, Even as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus was talking about Himself being lifted up on a cross. And so He references this story in Numbers 21. And you go back to Numbers 21 and you read the story. You guys can do it later. I have it marked here, but I'm not going to run out of time. But um, what happened is the children of Israel had sinned. And as a result, God had sent serpents into the camp of Israel, and the serpents were biting the children of Israel, and they were dying from the snake bites in, in Numbers 21. 
And so the people repented, and they, as they often did, they came to Moses, and they said, Moses, we have sinned against God. Will you go and intercede on our behalf? And so Moses goes and he says, God, the children of Israel have sinned, and they're repentant, they're sorry. And God says, Moses, I want you to erect a serpent, put it on a standard or a pole, and erect it in the middle of the camp, and, and tell the people that have been bitten by snakes, when they see it, they'll be healed. You guys see on the side of an ambulance or in a hospital, there's a pole with a serpent wrapped around it? That's where that comes from, Numbers chapter 21. It's a medical sign. Why would a serpent around a pole represent medical? But it does because they got it out of Numbers 21. So in this story of, of, of Numbers 21, true story really happens in the children of Israel. Those that were bitten with snakes, they would go outside, and if they looked at the pole, they would be healed from their snake bite. Now, why is that important? It's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't it absolutely fabulous, the, the parallel of what God was doing and what He was foreshadowing and what He was teaching? Because today, you're saved by faith in Jesus. And, and, so you, and it doesn't make sense, right? Can you imagine some grumpy old dude in a tent bitten by a snake? Maybe his name was Rick or something. And, and he's there... And, and his grandson comes to him and he says, Grandpa, Grandpa, Moses erected a serpent in the, in, the, in the camp and it's on a pole. And all you have to do is look at it and you won't die. And he says, Oh, son, a pole, what is that going to do for me? I'm bit by a snake. I need a doctor over here. I'm dying. Can't you tell you want me to look at some dumb pole? I need medicine. Go find me a doctor. No, Grandpa, Grandpa, really just, just believe and just come out and look. If you'll just do it, you'll be healed. And we, and we plead with people in Jesus' name to believe in Jesus and be healed. To walk with Jesus and receive Jesus by faith and be healed. And so we have this amazing you know, parallel there in the story. And, um, and, and I, I bring that out to tell you to worship God. And, and then you know what happened? The funny thing was in that story... Later in the years, they took that serpent that Moses erected and they began to worship it. Because it was a thing that God used in their, in their lives and many people got healed through it. And, and, and so they began to worship it instead of God. And we make that mistake. We worship things in our lives. We worship stuff, whether it be you know, material things or things that just help keep, keep our eyes off of God. And, and King Hezekiah, one day he took that thing and the people were worshiping it, that brass serpent that Moses had erected, and he destroyed it, and he yelled out, anybody know this one? You listen to Pastor Chuck, this is, a, this is a Chuckism, this is a good one. He said, Nahushtan, and it means a thing of brass, and he destroyed it, and he said, it's not a god, it's a thing of brass, and, it, and it's a reminder to us, right, and that we don't worship things, we worship God, amen? I got nine more verses, and we're going to rock them, we got five minutes. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. In verse number 10, it says, And he said to me, Do not seal. Everybody say, Do not seal. One more time. Do not seal the words of this prophecy and of this book, for the time is at hand. So is the book of Revelation a sealed book? He said, Don't seal it. Do you remember what he told Daniel regarding the, the prophecies that he gave to Daniel? He said, Seal them up for the time of the end. They're, they're open today because we've reached the time of the end and we, we have... We, we, we know what Daniel said, but at the time that Daniel wrote it, it was a sealed book in history when Daniel wrote 600 years before Christ. And, and so the time was to seal them up. But here in Revelation, it says this is not a sealed book. The, the very term Revelation means the unveiling, the apocalypso. It's like if the new Jeep was up here from 2023 and there's a big curtain and we removed the curtain and we unveiled the, the new Jeep. This is what Revelation means, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of churches and pastors and people who say, oh, we're not supposed to read the book of Revelation. We're not supposed to teach it. But it says so many times in the book of Revelation itself that, that we are. It says that, that, that it's, um, there's a blessing for just reading it. This tempts me one last time. Revelation 22. We've got to do it one more time, right? The book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Matter of fact, it's the only book in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. Found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And it says, write the things that were, the things that 
are and the things that are to come. Revelation 119. If you use 119, um, you can unlock the entire book of Revelation. Chapter 1, things that are. Revelation of Jesus. Or were. Today, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the things that are. Where we are today in the church age. Seven letters to seven churches. Chapters 4 and 5, a scene in heaven. The rapture of the church, a scene in heaven. Revelation 6 through 19, things to come. Revelation 6 through 19, dealing with the seven year tribulation period. Revelation 19, the return of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. Revelation 20 is the millennial reign. 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth. And then we live happily ever after. Book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. And then in verse number 10, it says, or 11, 10, 11. 11, it says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. You know, I think here in verse number 11, and you find this in in Revelation 21 too. In Revelation 21, a new heaven, a new earth, all of these amazing, important, like, encouraging words we get in Revelation 21. No more years, no more fears, no more tears. A new heaven, and behold, I saw a new heaven, a new earth, adorned as a bride for her Christ, for her groom, beautiful. And then right in the middle of 21, he says, but yet the abominable, the, the sorcerers, the idolaters will not inherit this kingdom. And so we get this kind of sobering pause, even in the middle of 21, that's this most amazing, encouraging chapter. And then in 22, we get the same thing here in verse 11, where it's just this sobering pause and reminder. And here, and, and, and I could be wrong, but the way I kind of read into this, and I don't want to read too much into the heart of God, but it's almost like in this new heaven and this new earth, God confirms here in this verse number 11 that He's already committed to honoring your free will even if that means you're going to spend eternity away from Him. That you have a free choice and a free will. And here He says in this verse that He's going to honor that and and, and the consequences of that. You know, Jesus never sent anybody, God never sends anybody to hell. People that go to hell, they choose to go there. They they don't want God, they don't want God, they don't want God, they don't want God. He's not going to then just force them in the end you know, to, to do something that they chose not to do their whole lives. It's a tough decision, but He's going to allow them because of love and because of free will, because of choice, people have a choice. And, and, and hell is not something that God created to punish people. The Bible says that God created hell for the, for the devil and his angels. But people will go there for all of eternity because God will honor their request to not have them as a part of their lives. And then the, the very thing of hell, it's not designed by God to be all these terrible punishments that we find it to be. It's just what? It's the absence of the presence of God. And just by the absence of the presence of God, then it becomes all of these terrible hellish punishments and all of these things where there's no love, grace, mercy. Anything that, that is of God is, is non-existent in this place because God's presence will be removed from it. And so here God is saying that if you're filthy, be filthy still. And that He's, he's going to allow that. Maybe there's even a little temptation here for God to say, okay, you know, because of His great grace, to then just extend the grace. But He's already told us in 20 that, that those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will not inherit this kingdom that He's going to talk about in 21 and 22. That they, they will not receive it or inherit it. And then He says um, in verse number 12, Behold... And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Hey, if I commit to like four minutes, will you guys just hang with me for four more minutes? We're a little bit over, but I do want to finish. I don't want to have to come back next week to this. Um, so, hey, Matthew 6.19. You guys don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Just stay there for me. I've read that. It says in Matthew 6.19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here Jesus said, I'm going to bring my reward is with me to give to everyone according to what? How, how is He going to reward you? Come on, y'all. Look at verse number 12 and give me the answer. How does He reward you? Based on what? Your works. Okay? So, for that, this is, my, this is my commentary on that. Get to work. What are you doing? You're going to get a reward based on your work? Get to work. What, what are you guys going to have? What, what's your time card going to look like? You, you, you're going to get there. He's going to reward you based on your work here on earth. 
So you guys are punching a time card, the work that you do. So you're going to hand it to him. He's going to look at your hours and he's going to write you a check. Is that, is that good theology? Is that good doctrine? Or am I just making stuff up here? He's going to reward you based on your works. So, so you know, James said, without faith without works is dead, right? And, and so we understand that, that, that there is, Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you store up for yourself treasures in heaven? You, you, you do things of the Lord here that God will reward you for. The concept of reward, I think I challenged you guys in this a couple weeks ago. Because I did the study at the pastor's conference. I listened to it, and it was really good. So I challenged you guys to go to the New Testament um, in your concordance, put in the word reward, and, and, and read all of the verses in the New Testament where, where God promises and talks about a reward for you in heaven. There's so many... And then, and then to even get further, you have to get where it's just the concept of reward, where the word reward has not really worked. In the Sermon on the Mount, three, three chapters, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, nine times, just in the Sermon on the Mount alone, Jesus either indirectly or directly mentions the concept and the idea of reward. And here we have God mentioning again the idea that God has a reward for you. I mean, I, I can't encourage us enough in this idea of how to live your life every day for Christ, understanding that this day is a reality. One day you're going to be given a reward based on your work. Do we work to get to heaven? No, it's not about getting to heaven. You don't get to heaven based on work. I don't care how much you work that doesn't get you in or keep you out of heaven. It has nothing to do with salvation. When we talk about works and, and salvation, we have to completely separate the two ideas. Any, 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 any work that you think you need to do to add to your salvation takes away from what Jesus did on the cross for your sins. And you're saying, in essence, if you need to add anything to the cross of Christ, that the cross of Christ is insufficient, and that's blasphemous. Blasphemy to say that Jesus' blood doesn't include everything that I also have to do, blah. Right? But we are called to work. We are called to work, and there's great reward for that work. But that work is, is, is done unto reward, and, and we're going to meet Jesus as the children of God one day. And you're going, to have, you're going to offer Him, you're going to hand Him your time card, so to speak, right? You're going to show it. How many of you guys want to stand in this moment right here? Revelation 22, verse 12, and Jesus is there with the reward, ready to give you your reward based on your work, and you're going to give Him the goods, and you're standing there with your hands in your pocket because you got nothing to give it. Watching all the people in front of you, you know, get their reward and hand in their, what they did for Him. On that day, do you not want to say to Jesus, this is what I have to offer you. This is what I did for you. This is how I served you. This is how I served your people. This is how I loved your people. And it's not complicated, folks. We don't need to complicate it, right? Keep it simple. Love God and love people. If you do those two things, you love Jesus and you love people, you're going to be out working. You're going to be serving God. You're going to be doing things to, to build this reward. Amen? All right, I said four minutes. You knew that was a lot. I said four, I meant six. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The, the revelation opened up and now we're going to end with that. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Another mention of the tree of life. And they enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Everybody say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts say, Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, one of Jesus' catchphrases is the word come. Okay? Some of the most encouraging verses is where Jesus calls you and calls me to come to him. Do you remember? He's um, in, in, in John chapter 7. He says, come to me. And, and come to me and drink. And out of your life, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 says, if you're heavy burdened or if you're laden with, with heavy burden, he said, come to me and I will what? And I will give you rest. Come to me and out of your life will flow torrents of living water. Come to me and I will give you rest. 
Come to me. Come to me. And this invitation. And so here in Revelation, at the very final closing act of the Word of God, it ends here with this idea of come, come, come. Come to me because you're all invited. In verse um, 17, at the end there, he says, whosoever desires. Don't ever let any Calvinists tell you that Jesus only died for certain people and only the elect. Whosoever desires. And you're a whosoever. We're all whosoever's. In verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. How many of you guys, raise your hand, want the plagues of this book added to your life? 100 pound hailstones on your head? Loads of sores over your body like Job had? So are we talking about just the book of Revelation or this entire book? Because this entire book is actually 66 books, right? So it's debatable whether he's talking about just the book of Revelation here in this warning or if he's talking about all 66 books. People land on both sides of the issue. To me, it's scary enough that I'm not going to mess with any of it. Just in case he's talking about all 66 books, which I kind of think he is. And really, for those that mess with it, they mess with Revelation too. But it says here, do not... And in Exodus, we have a similar warning to not mess with the Word of God, not change them or not take away. And he says, if you add to them, I'll add to you the plagues of this book. And then he says, if you take away from them, in verse 19... The words of this book, the prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. He's going to take your name out of the book of life. You're going to go to hell. We've already read very clearly, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here he says, you're going to take your name out of the Lamb's book of life. I think it's pretty scary enough that you don't want to be messing with the Word of God. Amen? If you take, if you add to the Word of God, that's legalism. We see that. Christians, that's Christians. Sometimes we struggle with legalism. We don't understand the grace of God, and we make up rules that the Bible doesn't have in them, right? We have, we have folks that tell me, oh, your church can't have a set of drums. And then I show them Psalm 150, and Psalm 150 says that we, we're supposed to worship the Lord with all kinds of instruments, including the drums. But that's a tradition of men. Some people have said, you know, I remember growing up with some friends, and they were a certain Christian denomination, and their denomination said, you're not allowed to dance. And they'll ask me, can Christians dance? And I'll say, well, some can, some can't. This, this Christian can get, get on down. You know what I'm saying? You, you're going to come to me with a wedding when the icky shuffle comes on or the stupid shuffle or something. I'll get down. I can get old boys and girls on the farm. Other Christians? No, nah, they don't dance very good. Especially some of the white ones, you know. <laughs> no rhythm, but... You know, but what does the Bible say? Is, is it forbidden for us to dance? Well, common sense says, yeah, if you're doing some foul, dirty dancing and you're using it to, to glorify your flesh or the world, yeah, that's obviously forbidden. That's sinful. That's sinful in its nature. But to dance nowhere in the Bible, to dance with, with you know, at a party or dance at a wedding, that, that, the Bible doesn't say that's sinful or wrong. But if you're, you know, dancing's not wrong or sinful in that way. And, and so, but we add to the Word of God legalism. We take away from the Word of God. That's liberalism. Many do that, right? They, you know, I, I told you recently about uh, certain pastors who, who were encouraging churches to ordain women as lead pastors. And I pointed out to some of these pastors that the Bible forbids that. Now, ladies, don't be offended. Read Timothy for yourself. I'm not saying anything, but the Bible forbids women from being senior pastors of churches. Um, you can do everything else in the ministry except for that job. And they were encouraging people to do that job. And I, when I challenged them on it, it was, it was taking away from the Word of God and liberalism. They said, oh, well, yeah, I know what that says, but that was only for um, the first century and Paul in, in that day. It's not relevant for today. And I said, uh-oh, you are opening a can of worms, a Pandora's box, when you start limiting parts of the Word of God to not relevant to today. Amen? So again, enough of a warning that we don't want to add or take away from the Word of God. We want to leave the Word of God exactly like it is. And in verse 18, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds, well, I just said that, 19, if anyone takes away from the words of this book and the prophecy, God shall take away the part of the book of life, the holy city, and the things which are written in the book. Verse 20, He who testifies of these things says, Surely, Amen, even so, Lord Jesus. And listen, the last verse in your Bible, do you know what it's all about? Grace. Everybody say grace. You can close your Bibles. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Hey, both worship groups today, we're not going to be able to close in a song because I preached for 12 minutes over. <laughs> thank you guys for your patience. But I wanted to finish. Thank you for letting me finish. Feels good. My wife can now leave me alone. We're done with Revelation. We are um, headed to the Gospel of John. So please read ahead. Next week, John chapter 1. It's going to take us um, about eight months to get through the Gospel of John. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go through the Gospel of John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So please read ahead and, and get a head start and read the Gospel of John this week. Amen? Let's stand together. Hey, like I said, we're not going to do a last song today, but uh, we want to make sure that all your needs are met. And if anybody needs individual prayer, we want to pray for you. Um, Pastor Dave and Shannon will be available. Pastor Josh and Amber are here. Um, the prayer room will be open. If you leave the sanctuary and you make a left, some folks will just post up in the in the conference room. If you need to talk or pray, um, they, they'll be happy to meet with you back there. Again, Dave or Josh will be happy to talk with you, pray for you today. So don't leave here. If you have some needs going on in your life, if you have some questions, you'd like individual prayer, please let us uh, pray for you guys in that in that way. And then if you want to sign up for Israel, the list will be outside in the foyer. Um, love you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, God. We thank you, Father, for your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, just your blessing over our study and revelation that we grew in it, that we were encouraged in it, Father, that, Lord, we um, Lord, we just know more about you. We love you more, God. We thank you and pray, Lord, that we would have work to do of sharing the gospel and preparing this world that Jesus is coming quickly. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said.